I am so excited to be back here and be able to fill in again, and uh, I'm very honored and privileged. I'm not just saying that. Um, I don't take this lightly to be able to preach from the pulpit here, uh, but it is an honor to be able to fill in with a mentor, for mentor and friend, uh, Pastor Steve, uh, and help him while he performed Curtis's wedding yesterday. And, uh, ooh, that's interesting. But uh, <laughs> uh, Curtis as well, I, I would encourage you as well to pray for him. He's like a brother to me now. He's been with us downtown for the last two years or so. So keep them in your prayers. Keep Kilbride in your prayers. And I'm saying that because it also ties right in with my message this morning. So I would hope most of you are turned to that already. But if you don't know as well, I'm Adam Diamond. I am the pastor and church planter for Downtown Community Church. So how many of you have read this passage before? It's, it's a pretty familiar passage. Uh, but before we get into that, I do want to ask you a question. What is a church? What would you say a church is? And before we get into that, um, I just want to remind you, even just last week, Pastor Steve was preaching on holiness and what it means to be a people who are holy. And simply put, it means that we are set apart. We are called out for God. And it means that we are seeking the face of God, we are following him, and we are reading his word. Here in our passage this morning, we have a very, very ideal description of the early church. Everything seems perfect, and people are actually getting along. They're not bickering about small things in the church, or what color this should be, or that should be. They're, they have all these things in common, and they're devoted together to worshiping God. And it's no wonder when we read things like this that we think, man, if I can only go back to those days, if we can just go back to the old days. So let me ask you again, what is a church? Let me read you some quotes. Craig Van Gelder says, the church is not just another human organization that happens to have a different mandate for its life and ministry. The church is about human behavior that is being transformed through God's redeeming power and about patterns of life that reflect redemptive purposes. In Why Should We Love the Local Church, Dustin Benge says, the church is uniquely those who have been called out of sinful darkness by God, our Father, through salvation in Jesus Christ and are now sealed by the Holy Spirit and now belong to the Lord. Mark Dever says, The church is a people, not a place or a statistic. It's a body united into him who is the head. It is a family joined together by adoption through Christ. And this morning, I would define a church, a local church, as a group of regenerated believers in a covenant relationship with one another that practice the ordinances of communion and water baptism and gather together to worship and serve and have established elders. It's a mouthful, but that's what I would say constitutes a church. And this morning, based on our passages, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. A church is a community of believers unified in Christ. So a church is a community of believers unified in Christ. This is what I really believe this passage is talking about this morning, is communicating to us as we look at the early church. And before we get into it even more, this passage is descriptive and not prescriptive. 
And that's just a simple way of saying that what we're reading here is something is describing something to us. It's not necessarily prescribing something that we have to adhere to exactly. We don't have to practice things exactly the way that we read here this morning. And our passage this morning comes right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Peter's sermon. We're told that about 3,000 people accepted Christ in verse 41, and they were baptized. You would think that with 3,000 people who are just becoming brand new Christians from different cultures and ethnicities and different languages, you would have a whole lot more trouble than what was described here. We, from what we have from Luke here is almost this utopian description of the believers. We don't see any problems. But now that doesn't mean that there weren't any problems. Just read a little further in Acts and you'll see issues arise and read any letters to the early churches and you see that there were issues. But what this does tell us is that God had truly moved in the lives of these men and women. These people who had come from different areas were now united under one purpose. Jesus. He was the common denominator for all these people. They had been saved by confessing him as Lord and repenting of their sins. And the transformation that happens to a person when they become a Christian, when they become a new Christian, a new creation, is very clearly seen here. We also see how the church functioned and worked together. Like I said, this isn't an exact model for us to follow, but there are some real lessons that we can learn here this morning. In this passage, the believers are working out for themselves in their time what it means to be a community now unified in Christ. So this morning, I have four points for you. The first is this. A unified church, sorry, a church unified in Christ has its priorities set by the gospel. So if you're a note taker, I'll say that again. A church that's unified in Christ has its priorities set by the gospel. So if your Bible's there, you can open and look at the first verse there, 42. It says that they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves to the teaching of the apostles, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. These are the four things that these believers devoted themselves to. These are the essentials that the church should have. These are, should be our priorities. A church that allows people or culture to set or influence their priorities will fail and eventually cease to be a church. Our priorities must be set by the gospel. And the first priority they had was the teaching of the apostles or the preaching of the word. Preaching has always been a vital part of the early church and for it to function. Your pastors, your elders, they have been called and affirmed to expound God's word to you each week. And what they're doing, it's not something they take lightly, what they're doing is they're standing and speaking and teaching with authority from God's word, saying, thus saith the Lord. They're not just doing a Bible study. I actually had a small laugh to myself when I was studying this message and I came across this verse. I couldn't help but think about what a good service meant for me growing up. And some of you here can probably help me with this. If you can, finish the sentence. It's a good service if the pastor doesn't... Preach. 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 That's, that's what we said growing up. And it was a common thing. 
And it wasn't just, you know, central Newfoundland, so you can't just blame it on the fact that I'm from central. <laughs> it was across, it's across the island. It was a good service if the pastor didn't preach. But yet, look how devoted these new believers were. It says that they devoted themselves. They were completely sold out to these four things. This is how central preaching was. I didn't grow up with a fondness of preaching at all. And there was, I remember going to church so many days, and I would hope that the pastor wouldn't preach because hopefully you would get out, you would get out quicker. <laughs> but it's a vital part of our community as believers. Here's what Tony Marita says. In this spirit-filled congregation, the people didn't abandon the study of the word because the spirit was at work. If you're walking in the fullness of the spirit, you will be drawn to the Bible. The Holy Spirit is just as much at work in the preaching and teaching of God's word as he is in the gifts. In scripture, we see Paul encouraging Timothy and Titus to continue the teaching sound doctrine in 1 Timothy 4.16 and Titus 2.1. This book right here, this is the authoritative inerrant word of God and we should want to be taught from it. We should want to hear from it and the truth it has for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. This also gives a great responsibility to both pastors and congregations. For the pastor, for the elder, they should take seriously their calling to preach and teach God's word and be concerned mostly with the audience of one. Likewise, congregations should submit themselves when the Bible is being faithfully or accurately taught. Now, the second gospel priority for the church is fellowship. And the amount of Bible verses teaching about bearing with one another, serving, being hospital to each other, and so on, it's not fit. Like, you, you get what I mean. Like, the Bible is full of verses and passages saying we should bear with one another, we should love one another, we should encourage one another. So it's obviously something that we should practice. Here's a few verses. In Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. 1 Corinthians 12, 25, this is the end of that verse. The members may have the same care for one another. Ephesians 4, 1 to 2. I therefore, a prisoner from the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. You get the, you get the idea. Fellowship is an important thing for us as believers. And again, Tony Maria says, and I'll be quoting him a few times, if people are out of fellowship with Christ, then they will be out of fellowship with the church. And if people are out of fellowship with Jesus' people, that is an indicator they may be out of fellowship with Jesus. There cannot be any of the foolishness of I love Jesus but not the church. You, you, you just can't be a Christian and do that. That's, that's not possible. Okay, because these are not only your brothers and sisters in Christ, they are also Christ's bride. 
We cannot expect to follow Jesus without living in fellowship with his people. A church is a community of believers unified in Christ. And that means we're living alongside people we don't usually rub shoulders with. Christians who are poor and rich, PhDs and dropouts, white collar, blue collar, addicts, non-addicts, young and old, and various ethnicities and cultures, all living together united under one purpose, salvation in Jesus. Diedrich Bonhoeffer in his book said, in his book called Life Together said, it is grace, nothing but grace, that we are allowed to live in community with Christian brothers and sisters. How many of us have thought about fellowship like that before? That's grace for you to be in community with brothers and sisters, even ones that drive you nuts. At Calvary here, we are committed, you are committed to living among each other, gathering together, getting into each other's lives, worshiping, hearing the word, and being reconciled to one another in Christ. Jesus makes it possible to love the people who annoy you. And if you pick people that you just like, then you're not really in fellowship. You're just with friends. That's not the community that we see. That's not the community of the church. The third priority that we should have is a breaking of bread. Now, come on. What Newfoundlander doesn't love a good scoff? Okay, some of you like a good scoff. Some of you, some of you are not too sure. I mean, you love a good feed of food. You love going to Nan's or Pops or someone's food and seeing the, the, the bread, the cheese, the coffee, the jam jams, whatever, all laid out for you to toast. I mean, homemade soup. Anyone grow up eating homemade soup? A few people. Yeah, you, you know what I'm talking about. That smell when you go into the house. You love it. Except this breaking of bread that we read about from Luke doesn't probably refer, sorry, to Nan's homemade soup or your Sunday dinner. From my study, it seems that there's a bit of a debate about this phrase, but the majority of what I've read is that this is more of a reference to communion. I mean, now, it could be a meal with brothers and sisters that included communion, or it would just be communion itself. It's either or. It's not just a meal. It's your meal that included communion with it or communion. It was very unlikely that this referred to just a plain old meal sharing a house. I mean, if you think about it, Luke puts breaking of bread right in between two very godly and pious acts of fellowship and prayer. It would be very odd and quite weird if Paul just put in having a meal together between fellowship with believers and prayer. The early church had communion as part of their lives right from the beginning. And our churches need to be observing the ordinances given to us by Jesus, communion and water baptism, because it's a part of who we are as a people who are called out and set apart for God. Now, we don't need to practice communion every single time we get together at Calvary. We remember the first Sunday of every month. The important thing is that you do observe it. And this is what I meant when I said the passage is descriptive and not prescriptive. We don't have to do it at every single meal like almost what's described here. I'm not saying that meals shared together are wrong. I mean, you should be having people over to your house. You should be having fellowship with one another, inviting other believers in, and even non-believers. But what we should be doing is pointing each other back to Christ during those meals. And that's what we see here. To quote Tony Marita again, the apostles preached to the ear about Jesus, and the table preached to the eye about Christ. 
Do our meals do the same thing? When we have believers at our house, are we pointing ourselves back to Jesus? Is he found in our conversations and actions during those meals? Something for us all to think about. And the last priority they have is prayer. And it's of the utmost importance for us to be praying and seeking the face of God. I mean, in Acts chapter 6, when they choose men to help with the distribution of food to the widows, the apostles themselves say in 6 verse 4 that they will devote themselves to prayer and the teaching of the word. We should be people of prayer, and nothing should hinder us from turning to God. Nothing. 1 Thessalonians says in 5, 16 to 18, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This doesn't mean that you have to be praying 24-7 nonstop. That's not what this is saying. What it does mean that you should be seeking and turning to God throughout your day. Simple illustration. How often do you have your phone on you? All day, every day? You're always flicking at it. You're always turning it up. When you got a moment, you turn it on, spare a moment. That's basically without ceasing. It's a quick way, easy illustration for you to learn. Just keep going back to God in prayer without ceasing. It doesn't matter if you have a good life or if you're struggling. You should be going to God in prayer. So the teaching of the word, the fellowship of the saints, the breaking of the bread, and prayer are all gospel priorities our churches should have and should example. A church is a community of believers whose priorities are set by the gospel. And the second point this morning, a church, is a unified, is a, is a church unified in Christ serves their brothers and sisters. So a church unified in Christ serves their brothers and sisters. And look at verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the needs and, sorry, belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Anyone here get nervous when they read this? Oh, so, some people are brave to admit it. I mean, it makes me a little nervous when I read it. Really? They were selling off their possessions and not like, do I need to sell my second car? Like, do I need to? <laughs> like, what, what does that mean? Like, no, honestly, Right. Especially in the world we live in now, when we see that the needs in food banks and for school supplies have just risen drastically. People can't make ends meet. And you might be sad here, like, I, I can barely make ends meet some, some months. Do I have to start selling things now in order to be a Christian? That's, that's not what it's saying. It's not saying that you're required to sell these extra possessions. You see, this was a willingness of the believers to sell the extra that they had to help their brothers and sisters. When you become a Christian, we're not against owning private property. That's not what this is saying. But we are for helping our brothers and sisters in Christ. In our passage, these are people whose lives, whose hearts are newly transformed by the gospel. And they came into a new community and would rather live for God's kingdom than for their own. The wealthier believers were willing to serve their poorer brothers and sisters out of their own initiative because of the grace of God in their lives. And when pastors ask you, I'm sure you've heard this before, to think about what God has done for you, this, this should be one of those outcomes. What has God done for me and how can I show that grace to other brothers and sisters? 
We want to be able to serve those within the church and be sure, and be sure there are no outstanding needs. We show hospitality and care for those outside of the church, but yes, there should be extra special attention to those who are part of our local church. Galatians 6.10 says, So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. As Christians, we are called to serve others, but we should be giving extra attention to those who are our brothers and sisters in Christ and part of our community. Are you comfortable with sharing your needs with those here? Do you know the people around you and what needs they have? Are you comfortable admitting that you need help, even going to your elders and saying, I need help with this? Are we living in gospel community with each other, both being willing to admit we need help and being willing to help? When I was in Bible college and I did my internship as a youth pastor, we had a young guy, this was in Cornerbrook. We had a young guy who came out and he was a new Christian. So he had so much desire for seeking God and learning about God and scripture, he loved it. And through conversation, he had mentioned he didn't have a bed to sleep on in his house. His family was not very well off at all. And he slept on the couch and uh, just let that pass. I just never thought anything of it. And he had mentioned it a few times and a couple weeks had passed. And then the youth pastor that I was interning with said, hey, come with me, we're going to Walmart. I said, why? What, what are we going there for? And he said, we're going to buy an air mattress, like a real good, like queen size, like double stacked or whatever, like a real nice mattress for this guy to sleep on. And then it hit me. This kid had a need. He was a believer. And it hadn't even crossed my mind how I could possibly meet that. And it struck me. Because I just looked past, like, oh, no, like some, I'm sure someone will meet that need. Or, and it, just, it just really hit me that, wow, I did just look past this, that I could have met this need of another believer and just blessed him. And, and Calvary, like, you, you've stepped up to the ball so much, I've got to say. When we need mattresses, even when we need coolers, and I know there have been financial needs met, I, I get to see that happen in the office you've been a church that have blessed your brothers and sisters. I do want to encourage you in that, and I want to encourage you to keep going in that, to keep not only reaching out to the community, but make sure that you example that within these walls, within the people here as well. See, Christians are not to give out of an abundance of grace that God, sorry, we are to give out of an abundance of grace that God has given us. God loves a cheerful giver. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 to 8 says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency and all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. When we look into history, it's not hard to find many thinkers and leaders who thought about having a commune and bringing people, bringing people together under one purpose, or they tried to. But Christ wasn't at the center. As a result, usually when you join these communities, your goods, your land, your possessions were taken forcefully and, and supposed to be distributed to everyone else. But that didn't work out because even in those moments, you still had those who were of a higher class looking down and sneering at the poorer class. You can read about it in history. Then the Greek ideal of friendship was actually one of a reciprocated friendship. 
meaning that if I were to help you move into your house, then further down the road, if I had, say, trouble with my car, and if you know my car, I probably do have trouble with my car, <laughs> then I can go to you. <laughs> I can go to you, but it would be expected that you would help me because I helped you. Like, there wouldn't be like, oh, I can't. No, it would be expected that you have to reciprocate to me because I helped you. But that's not what we see here. Here's what Craig Keener says. Luke goes well beyond the traditions of Greek culture. He summons higher status members to serve others with their possessions without expecting reciprocation, very unlike their contemporaries. See, our giving isn't supposed to be compulsory, nor is it supposed to be demanded that we hand everything over to the church. If possible, we should be able to meet the church needs within the church and still meet some outside of the church. But we got to admit, we can't solve or fix every problem. But we can also stand by and see a brother and sister suffer if that need can be met by one of us. And this is part of what it means to be kingdom-minded. Point number three this morning. A church is a community of believers unified in Christ who worship God. So a church unified in Christ worships God. Look at the beginning of verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. See, praising and worshiping God was a daily thing for them. I mean, they had just been saved. They had just heard about this Christ was crucified. And it was because of them. And they repented of their sins. And now they're rejoicing. They're praising. There's an awe among them of what God has done. And it only makes sense, really, that daily and corporate worship would be a part of what the church is. I mean, if we're saved by grace, which is a gift of God, and brought into his holy family, adopted, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, if we're able to come to God as Abba, Father, why wouldn't we want to gather and worship together? The people in the church, they had an awe and gladness when they gathered together of what God had done. Did you come this morning with awe and gladness of what God has done? of who he is? Do we have a sense of awe right now, even while the word is being preached of what God has done in this community and how this community has gone through the ages and we're here now? In this book, A Dangerous Calling, Paul David Tripp says, awe of God will capture you in your ministry or you will be captured by some kind of created awe. Remember, any glorious thing in creation was given that glory by God so it would function as a finger pointing you to the one glory that should rule your heart, him. So either you are in awe of creation or you are in awe of God. And where do we find ourselves this morning? I mean, just imagine if this life was all there was. If all there was to this life was waking up, going to work, being cut off on your way to work, being in financial debt, maybe having mental health issues, maybe having loved ones pass away, being sick all the time, what if that's all there was to life? But it's not. Thank God it's not because we have the hope of spending eternity with our Lord and Savior to be in the presence of the author and perfecter of our faith and he wants us with him. 
In his book, Corporate Worship, Matt Merker says, Corporate worship should mold a congregation into a people more and more ravished by the beauty of God. Each Sunday meeting reorients a congregation's spiritual compass. We gather, and God sends our wayward course back to where it needs to be, toward himself. And this is why we structure our liturgy the way we do. We remind ourselves, reorienting our hearts back to God, to come to him with thanksgiving and praise and awe of what he has done and who he is. And I get this can be hard sometimes. Kids can get in the way. You can have arguments on the way here. So many factors can happen on your way here, or even during the week. But this is the place where the broken and heavy-hearted are welcomed to find rest. Daily worship, whether corporate or within our homes, was a common factor in the early church. They would praise God over meals. In this commentary, Eckhart Schnabel, what a name that is, as believers shared meals in the temple and in their homes, they praised God. They glorified God in their prayers. And when they spoke, they spoke of God's blessings through Jesus, Israel's Messiah and Lord. They cheered God's wisdom and approval and thus recommended him to unbelievers who might be present. Do we also experience an example of this joy when we worship God? Do we praise God when there are unbelievers around? Or do we remain quiet and keep our faith to ourselves? I, I get it. It can be hard to share your faith sometimes. When I was down in New Orleans back in June at the SBC meeting, I, came across, I was out for a walk, and listen, it was 40-degree weather with humidity, so it was, not, it was not pleasant to be outside. But I wanted to see the city, so I was out for a walk, and I came across four people who were trying to get attention to, draw, to get money for some sort of charity. Um, and when you're down there, like, I didn't have any cash on me, so as a Canadian, I couldn't really give them any money. But they, I walked past, and I had one of those shirts. I don't know if you've seen us wear it before. It has you no know, planting churches, planting churches, planting. It just goes all the way down. And so I was walking past this group, and one lady called, oh, plant a church, what does that mean? And I thought, oh, great. Like, I, like what am I going to get myself into now? I thought she was being saucy, basically. But so, so I stopped, and I turned around, I'm like, well, what do you mean by that? And so I had a great conversation, was able to explain, like, you know, what it meant to plant a church. And uh, one of the guys looked at me and said, hey, if I flip this bottle twice, he said, you got to hear what I got to say. I'm like, dude, I'll listen to what he had to say, but I'm Canadian. He said, oh, he said, you guys are the nicest ones, but you can never give us anything. <laughs> but I had this conversation with them, and before I left, um, I never shared the gospel with them. I, I didn't. I said I was a pastor, what I was here for. And I, I do regret it. I regret that. It was, I, all I was concerned about was it was hot out. These are strangers. I want to get back to a nice air conditioning room. I didn't. It can be hard to share the gospel, but they did say one thing to me. They said, listen, you're not like everyone else here who's here for this gathering. You took the time for us to talk with us. And I say that, Bart, because God is sovereign. It's not like if I didn't share the gospel, that was one time to be saved. If God has ordained for them to be saved, they will be saved. So I can sleep easy at night knowing that God is in control of that. But I do regret not taking the opportunity, and I have tried to be more mindful of, okay, what opportunities do I have to share the gospel with people around me? And we need to be willing to engage people where they are. 
We need to be willing to have those conversations. And this goes to my last point this morning. And this is also our application. A church unified in Christ is actively engaged in outreach. A church unified in Christ is actively engaged in outreach. It's not inherently in the text, but if you look at verse 47, it says, And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. As I said, it is God, it always has been God, it always will be God, who saves and draws people to himself. He is the one who pursues, he is the one who saves, but God does use us to evangelize others and share his gospel. And there's no doubt that the early church shared their faith with those around them. They weren't quiet about this new transformation. They weren't quiet about this new community they were now a part of. They shared the gospel in word and deed, and the Lord was faithful and added to their numbers day by day. And we need to be a church. Rather, we need to be a network of churches that share the gospel in word and deed. We need to be a network of churches that have our priorities set by the gospel, that serve our brothers and sisters, that worship God and preach the word. And Calvary, you have set yourselves up to plant churches for years to come. I mean, just imagine with me for a second, if we had churches across the city, across this province, that devoted themselves to the preaching of God's word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to serving each other, to worshiping, and then telling others about the good news. What would God do? What would God do in St. John's and Newfoundland and Labrador if we had churches working together for the gospel? Listen, Calvary, you joined us downtown when the Cuban man was down there, and I was so thrilled to welcome you into, let's say, my neck of the woods. That's where a lot of my time is spent. I'm the downtown planter. I should be down there. But it was so thrilling. And most of you don't know this because... As I was talking to people, this is one of the first instances where my neighbors had come out to see something that we were doing. So I was talking with my neighbors, and I got the point over. They said, like, you know, who are you here with? And I got the point over where most of you were gathered. You don't know this, but I got the point over. And I was thrilled to say, these are my people. This is my sending church. They are here. They care. They're involved. They're a part of this. We're doing this together. I'm not just some weirdo downtown trying to start a church on my own. I mean, I'm a weirdo downtown, but I have a church behind me. But listen, that's a community, that's a network of churches working together. I was able to point and say, these are my people, this is my community, and they care about what we're doing down here. We're not competing. We're working together to see our city reach for Christ. Very quickly, Rosaria Butterfield has a book, and it's called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. If you haven't read it, I do recommend you reading it. And in it, she says this, In order for the gospel to be proclaimed in word or deed, we must recognize that we all deserve, we all deserve hell itself. With all of its ravages, injustices, poverty, and pain, and that only through the blood of Christ... 
poured out for the sins of his people and through the power that God has used to raise Christ from the grave, bestowed upon all who submit to the authority of Scripture are any of us saved. The Christian home is a place where we bring the church to the people as we seek to lock arms together. Listen to me this morning. If you love Christ, then you will share him. If you love Christ, then you will worship him. If you love Christ, then you will serve his people. If you love Christ, then your priorities will be shaped by his good news. We should all be challenged by this, by this today, and we're not going to get it right. But we can draw closer to him, and we can share him with the world around us and all that we do. I challenge you this morning, if you feel like you don't meet or do one of those things, then get involved in your local church, whether it be here at Calvary or somewhere else. Serve him and others in that community on a Sunday morning or during the week. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, then hear me out. None of what I've said applies to you. but it doesn't have to stay that way. This community of believers doesn't include you, but it could. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, then you will be saved. And when Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom, he asked for people to repent of their sins. And I pray this morning that you see your need for salvation and realize that God offers you grace and forgiveness. You just have to turn to him. If you're not a Christian, but you've witnessed a difference in a Christian community, you can be a part of that community, but you need Jesus first. See, we are a community of believers unified in Christ. That's what draws us all together. Turn to him and you will have far more brothers, sisters, fathers, mothers than you could ever stand to lose. Calvary, your ministry through Model One Mission is poised, and should God bless it, to have a lasting impact on our island. We're in this together. We're a network of churches, and I pray we're a network of churches unified in Christ across this province. So as I end this morning, let's seek God. Let's serve each other. Let's be in awe of what God has done. And let's share the good news. Let me pray. Father, I've asked this morning, O oh God, that your word would be applied to our hearts. Oh God, that we would not think that we had to model exactly what the early church did and how they, how they practiced things. But Lord, that you would be present among us. That God, we would be in honor and we would be so honored to share your good news with those around us. We would be in awe of what you have done in our lives and the lives of our brothers and sisters. Lord, may we now as we go into a time of as worship again, Lord, would you grip our hearts of what you have done for us and what you want to do. Lord, we realize that we are drawn here for one purpose, and that's you. That all these men and women in this room, God, that you have, you have been the one to draw us here. You are the common factor among us. 
and that we are all sinners deserving of your punishment, deserving of hell if it were not for salvation through your son, Jesus. Father, would you lead us today? Would you help us to be a community of believers unified in you, seeking you, serving one another, and praising you? Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach to my brothers and sisters, to stand before them. And I pray, O oh God, as Steve said so many times, I pray that they would have heard a better sermon than I have preached, O oh God. And may we go here, from here today out into this city, O oh God, and proclaim the good news, whether it be through the soccer camp in Kilbride or whether it be through any outreach initiative. May you give us conversations, O oh Lord. May you be present with us, O oh God, as we tell people about the change you have made in our lives and in your good news. I ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.